Hello, welcome and kumusta. Thank you for joining me today. My name is How. I am your occupational therapist. In this episode, we will try and understand the motor behaviors. That's right, we're going to talk about motor behaviors because I understand that uh, stroke for particularly or neurological impairment, this is one of those very specialized area that most occupational therapists want to learn about. So any symptoms or any way to understand motor behaviors and neurology and stroke and spinal cord injury or head injury. So this is something that is very enticing to a lot of people. In this episode, we will talk about motor behaviors. Uh, Particularly, we will look at some of the parts. We will be discussing some of the parts that can affect movement. And then we will be describing the movement problems that are caused by some of the different parts. Now, when we are talking about uh, uh, movement disorders or the person is moving in a funny way, there are just, from my experience, there are just three general categories that will have an effect on the movement or uh, there are three major parts of the brain that has particular characteristics okay particularly these are the this is the cerebral cortex so you can have problems with a basal ganglia and then the other one is a movement that is characterized particularly cerebellar in nature. So they, these are the three major areas. So movement problems because there is a problem with the cerebral cortex, particularly with stroke, for example. So you would have that. Or head injury. Yeah, that's way very obvious. Another one is a cerebral cerebellum which is at the back which is a very very small part which is at the posterior part of the brain okay and that will have something to do with coordination and then another one is the basal ganglia which lies underneath the cerebral cortex now there will be some problems with these parts the cerebellum basal ganglia and cerebral cortex on situations and on conditions that a person has had some stroke yeah because stroke is technically a a there is a lack of blood supply in the brain so the brain did not receive the appropriate blood supply and these blood supply it can vary you know there are some blood that supplies the cerebral cortex then you would have some 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 impairment there but there are some very, very minute blood supply, which is particularly, it branches out from the uh, cerebral artery. And these are the uh, uh, blood supply, the, uh, the, the medial striate arteries, for example, that branches out from the medial cerebral artery. Uh, and it supplies the internal capsule. It, simpl- uh, the, it supplies the, the basal ganglia as well. So the lateral striate arteries and you have the middle striate arteries. So if you have a, a stroke, uh, then that can be affected. But it's very, very tiny. So very, very tiny. It's usually a problem, more of a problem post-surgery. And then another one, 
uh, where you can have a blood supply that supplies the cerebellum. And in here, you have the vertebral artery that's supplying it. You have uh, the posterior inferior cerebellar artery. You can have um, the superior cerebellar artery. So there are plenty of arteries that are very, very significant. Now, on very rare occasions, you would have uh, spinal cord strokes or spinal stroke. And this is because uh, there are some blood supplies uh, that is uh, coming from the aorta and it is uh, the, it's, um, the uh, 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 vertebral artery, you can have the basilar artery, ascending cervical artery, uh, thyrocervical trunk of... Uh, the 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 aorta for example um and you can have the radiculomedullary arteries as well so there's there's plenty of that so those are the blood supplies so really what i'm saying is blood supplies once there is an interruption or there's a problem with blood supply if it reaches the major parts of the brain then you will have some movement problems again what i said you have problems where there are cortical lesions which is the cerebral cortex then you have the cerebellar lesions, and then you have lesions in the basal ganglia. Now we'll talk about some of the movement disorders on those particular areas. So this time, let's talk about the cortical lesions. So if you've had a stroke, particularly with stroke, so the cerebell, no, the, the cerebrum, cerebral cortex, that's why it's cortex, yeah? Cerebral cortex is uh, impaired and the blood did not reach the cerebral cortex. And once this happens, you would have some movement problems that will be very, very obvious. So one is the uh, uh, problem called uh, the person is likely to have some hemiplegic posture. Hemi meaning half, plegic meaning paralyzed. So half of the body will be paralyzed. So when half of the body is paralyzed, how does that work? You know, so one side is definitely weak and then the arm can either assume a flexion pattern or an extension pattern. So the, uh, let me see if I can describe this correctly. So the elbow would be bent, the arm would be in internal rotation, the wrist and the fingers can be bent and it could be tucked in. So the arm can be adducted internally rotated so technically the arm is really tucked into the chest so that is a particular hemiplegic posturing okay particularly if there is a strong spasticity in there so you would have hemiplegic posturing um because one side is weaker then it's lopsided isn't it when somebody is sitting down the position is lopsided and then the leg is actually it doesn't have a right tone as well, so it can either be on external rotation on the hip. It can be very weak, or if it's, uh, or it can be internally rotated if the internal rotators are there is spasticity on the um, hip adduction as well. So that can be a problem on that. Hemiplegic posturing is one. So hypotonia is one of the symptoms that assumes that. Yeah, that there is a that that there is a problem with the cerebral cortex. Hypo being less tonia is tone is very low. So you just have low tone. Okay. 
Now, the opposite of hypotonia is hypertonia, yeah, where it means that the tone is more than usual, okay? The normotonic, that's what we want, normal being normal and tonic is normal tone. So on a day-to-day -day situation where there are no problems, the natural state of the muscle is called nor normotonic or it's in normotonia. All right. So when you have a problem with the cerebral cortex, you would have either hypotonia or you can have hypertonia. Another symptom of a cortical uh, stroke, for example, is a symptom that is called spasticity. And this is a, an, there is an increased resistance appreciated by the examiner when the joint is moved briskly. So you can tell that something is spastic if you do a quick stretch, you straighten or you bend a joint, for example, particularly it's very obvious on the elbow. So if the elbow, you, the starting position is the elbow is bent and you quickly stretch the elbow to straighten, you will feel a catch, you know, and it depends on where. Sometimes if it's mild spasticity, you know, the catch would be at the very end or if it's a moderate spasticity, it's somewhere in the middle. And then severe spasticity is like as soon as you move it, it just pulls it back. So spasticity. Spasticity, by definition, is a an increased tone in response to speed. Okay. So that is that, spasticity. Another symptom that you would uh, notice is the uh, symptom called clonus. And clonus is an oscillating contraction and relaxation of the limb segment due to the alternating pattern of stretch reflex and inverse stretch reflex of a spastic muscle as well. Now, the clonus is particularly visible and it's easily observable on the wrist. So it's a wrist clonus. How do you do that? And what you do is you quickly extend the wrist and you keep on pushing that, keep the wrist in an extended position, keep applying that pressure. And when you do that, you will notice that the wrist would bounce forward and back. Yeah. And why that is happening is there is the, the, the flexors of the, the fingers and the wrist is being stretched because you're really stretching it, what it's behaving like a patella reflex like a knee jerk you know so it just keeps on um, bouncing forward and back the wrist would just be bouncing so that's clonus it's called the wrist clonus you can also do this on the ankle and how you do this is normally the ankle of a person with hemiplegic posturing is the ankle would be in uh, its plantar flexion so what you do is you quickly move the uh, ankle into dorsiflexion and you keep that pressure, keep that movement into dorsiflexion. And what you would notice is that the, the, the ankle would be moving forward and back. So there's an oscillating movement there as if the person is doing some sewing, you know, like all the, the old school sewing machine. For those of you who are young, you probably have not encountered this. But for those people who remembers their grandparents, it's like a sewing machine 
and they, you know, it just bounces up and down as well. So clonus is one of those cortical lesions. Now, another one is the, uh, you know, when somebody has had the uh, spasticity, it's called a clasp knife phenomenon. So, you know what a clasp knife is, you know, th those clasp knife being um, like, for example, the Swiss army knife, for example, or a pen knife. You know, you move it to a certain point, and as soon as you reach a certain point, it just either closes quickly or it extends quickly. Just imagine of the arm, um, the elbow, like a Swiss Army knife. So as soon as you you move it, when it reaches a certain point, if you're if it if the starting position is on on flexion, for example, and you start to move it, once it reaches a certain point. Uh, it just goes into extension, so that's an extension like a clasp knife. Or you try and bend it if it reaches a certain point, and then it just goes back into flexion. So clasp knife phenomenon, um, you would observe this in spastic upper limb. Now hemiplegic is hemi, Latin for half plegic is paralyzed. Yeah, and when you have this, uh, one of the hallmarks or one of the symptoms of a cerebral stroke or cortical movement disorder is a weakness, yeah, which is the inability to generate the necessary force to achieve or uh, 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 demonstrate motor function, okay? So weakness, and this is because the muscles are technically strong, but because the command is coming from the cortex, then the the muscle would just not generate the amount of energy. But the muscle bulk is there. Over a period of time, if the muscle hasn't moved, then definitely the person would be weak because of muscular uh, uh, muscul muscle wasting. And another one is called the loss of fractionation. And this is the inability to move a single joint without producing unnecessary movements in other joints. So this results in stereotype movement patterns instead of selective and flexible movement patterns. So remember that, that's a big word, loss of fractionation. Another one that is a problem with movement, a cortical problem, is a problem called apraxia. And apraxia is the inability to perform purposeful movement in the absence of weakness, in the absence of ataxia, in the absence of sensory loss, or abnormal muscle tone. So, the person cannot perform purposeful movement despite everything being normal. So apraxia, purposeful movement. And this is because it's almost like a cognitive motor impairment. It's not because they're not weak, but they just couldn't perform it because the brain, which is the cortex, you know, the cortical part of the brain, is the one that is allowing the person to willfully move their arm. Okay. Another type of problem is a problem called lead pipe rigidity. So you would have this. And this is characterized by a hypertonicity of, of both the agonist and the antagonist muscles. So rigidity, the arm is stiff and it will assume one position and in one posture, whether it's both tucked in 
like a wing tucked in. And if you pull the arm into extension, you cannot pull it. But once you pull it into extension, you push it and it just won't do that again. So this is called a lead pipe rigidity. So rigidity is one of the problem, uh, movement problem of uh, uh, cortical movement disorder. Now let's go to the second part of the brain, which is the cerebellum, cerebellar dysfunction. So we have cerebellar dysfunction. And when you have this cerebell cerebellum or cerebellar impairment, cerebellar dysfunction, so movement disorders caused by problems with cerebellum, you would have symptoms like intention tremor. And this is a tremor that is usual that usually increases as the goal is approached. So at rest, the person is not moving or is, is you don't observe any shakes. But as soon as you get the person to reach for something at the end range, it just shakes. Yeah. So this is where they wanted to see, is it past pointing, you know? Uh, so intention tremor. Yeah. And you also have overshooting. Yeah. And this is the inability. It, so overshooting or dysmetria. This is difficulty. Metria is meter or measuring. So difficulty with the measurement of movement, meaning when the person reaches for something, it just overshoots. And this is uh, the dysmetria is the inability to direct or limit the motions properly. And it is, again, characterized by overshooting. Another symptom is called dyssynergia, or there is a decomposition of movement. And this is characterized by movement that are broken up into their small component parts rather than being a smooth and coordinated movement. So this can be assessed on coordination tests such as the finger-to-nose test, okay? Another symptom is called dysdiadocokinesia. Well, that is a big word. This is difficulty. Dia uh, is to doko is alternating kinesia is movement. So dysdiadocokinesia is the inability or adiadocokinesia is the inability to perform rapid and alternating movements. Yeah. So what you do is you ask the person to say if they're sitting down, you get the person on both their left and right arm an alternating movement of both flexion and extension. See if they can do that. Or uh, an alternating movement of pronation supination. See if they can do that. Or you can get them to clap their hands, so put their, their hand on top of the other and get the other hand do a like a clapping motion where the first movement would be palm to palm and then palm to the back of the uh, of uh, palm to the back of the hand and palm to palm palm to the back of the hand so you do that like a clapping motion and you can see that the impairment is that the person has difficulty controlling movement on the other side okay the other one is an ataxic gait 
So when somebody is walking and you see that they, they are wide-based, it is unsteady, staggering, with tendency to veer towards the side of the lesion. Yeah. So why is it towards the side of the lesion? So if somebody has had a cerebellar stroke and it's on the right side, they would veer on that side. Why? That is because in cerebellum, it is ipsilateral, okay? It only becomes a contra contralateral problem if it is a cortical lesion uh, because it's, it's before it reaches uh, the, the, the nerves, before the, the, the nerves reaches the cerebellum, uh, it crosses onto the thalamus, yeah? So that's one of the... The, the hallmark. So the problem is on the ipsilateral side, wide-based gait. The other uh, problem that you would notice is that there is a decrease in muscle tone because the, uh, the, the cerebellum has the inability to influence on the stretch reflex as well. So those are the symptoms of the cerebellar impairment. So why is it? So if you think about it, why is it that uh, there is a coordination problem? Well, there is a coordination problem because the proprioceptors, so remember the proprioceptors, which goes at the back of the spinal cord or spinal, yes, back of the spinal cord, they are the posterior, the dorsal pathway, it integrates onto the cerebellum. So this is where uh, be the center for coordination. So the, the arm is generally strong. You know, if you ask them to push on something, you know, they, they sometimes can't do it. You ask them to move, they can't do it. You ask them, but if you push against the hands, then the arm would push hard against it. And you would think, this is not weak. How come it, it, they can't instigate the movement, but it's not weak? Is that's because when you push against the hand, you are providing proprioceptive facilitation on it. Yeah. Right. And the third and the last part uh, is a problem with basal ganglia. And on basal ganglia impairments, you, you would have movement problems such as tremors at rest or resting tremor. So here, the tremors would stop at the initiation of movement. But as soon as the person stops moving, then this is where you would observe that the hand is shaking. So this definitely would have a fatiguing effect. And you need to instruct the patients to learn how to compensate and control it by stabilizing the arm on the armrest. So a typical problem with uh, resting tremor, a typical condition would be that of Parkinson's disease, isn't it? So when people are at rest, you can see the arm shaking very, very violently. But when you ask them to do something, then they'll be able to do it. So resting tremor is a cerebe no, is a basal ganglia problem. Now, another thing is that the movement is very slow. Yeah, and this is a symptom called akinesia or bradykinesia. A is without, a kinesia is without movement, or bradykinesia. 
So Brady is slow, kinesis movement. So and this can be seen, you know, people with 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 lack of facial expression, for example, they have monotone voice, they have reduced eye movement, they have diminished swing during walking. And when you're slow to move and you're not swinging the arms, you you have a decreased balance and the equilibrium reactions are also very, very, very weak and very slow. And this is bradykinesia. Again, very typical of a Parkinsonian uh, problem, isn't it? So while ataxic gait is the problem for cerebellum, which is white-based, in fes uh, in in basal ganglia problem, you have a problem called festinating gait. And this is small, fast, shuffling steps that pushes and that propels the body forward at an increased pace. Again, very much of a hallmark of a Parkinson's disease. Okay, So those are the very popular ones. Now, every now and again, you would, and this I have observed in post-surgery, and uh, particularly if you've had heart operation and there is an incidence in there. So it's a symptom where the, the movement is involuntary, slow, writhing movement. Yeah, And this is called uh, atetosis. So you can see the fingers and the face that is slow, writhing, very slow, yeah. And uh, yes, it's a symptom called atetosis. And uh, yeah, you would observe this typically in, in cerebral palsy. You know, children with cerebral palsy as they grow up, so there's an atetoid type of cerebral palsy you can see how they're moving. It's slow and writhing, yeah? So that's one. The other problem there is a, a, a bigger one is rapid, jerky, irregular, and prime. it primarily involves the face and the distal extremities. So the muscles can be hypertonic. The problems may happen during a sleep. Yeah, this is now called choreiform movements. Yeah, choreiform movements. And that's why, again, in Parkinson's, you know, one of the questions is, is there a restless leg syndrome? Because it kicks even when the person is asleep. So that's rapid, jerky, irregular movements. It involves the distal extremities. You would observe this in the hands or in the face. It just happens. Choreiform movement. Another movement problem is a form of atetosis. Do you remember the atetosis is a slow writhing movement? But this is a form of atetosis in which but there is an increased tone that in that that causes distorted features or distorted postures on of the on the trunk and the proximal extremities. So when the trunk moves forward, the person would just go bend forward and once you know, the person extends, it'll just go all the way in extension like a lordosis. So there's involuntary contractions. It results on torsion spasms. Torsion is like, yeah, it's pulling pulling the muscles, you know, and then it's, it's spasm, it's spasmodic, you know, torsion spasms. And there is an increase on lumbar lordosis. This is a symptom 
called dystonia. Another symptom is a uh, is a unilateral, so just one side, yeah. You know, remember the curriform movements is just a tiny jerky movements, but this time it's a unilateral chorea where it is violent, forceful. The arms are flinging. There's flinging of extremities on the one side of the body. Yeah. This is a symptom called hemibalismus. And it is a problem where there's lesions in the subthalamic nucleus. All right. And one more is a problem uh, where... Do you remember in cortical problem, uh, cortical lesion, you have a lead pipe rigidity. Now this time it's a cogwheel rigidity. So cogwheel meaning it's like the arm is just like a cogwheel. So there is like you pull and there is like stops in between, you know, like a cogwheel. So that's uh, the symptom called cogwheel rigidity. Right. So other movement problems that we have. And again, there are plenty of terminologies out there. Um, you have blepharospasm. And this is intermittent contractions of the orbicularis oculi. What is the orbicularis oculi? This is the muscles that surround the eye. So it's like it, it shuts. The eyes are like shutting very tight. And it's like spasmodic. So blepharospasm. Um, you can have the writer's or occupational cramp as well. And it's presenting with uncontrollably tight grip accompanied by flexion of the wrist um, of the, where there was jerking or there's a sustained movement are often associated with it. So that's called a writer's or occupational cramp. You have oromandibular dystonia. Uh, and this involves the muscles of the tongue the mouth, the jaw, and it causes the mouth to pull open or forcibly shut. So the mentalis and the platysma muscles are also involved in here. And this is oromandibular dystonia. You can have a symptom called spasmodic torticollis. Torticollis is like a stiff, stiff neck. So, you know, the neck is just spasmodic and it, the person just turns the neck you know, and 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 it's like I don't know how to describe it. You know, I'm 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 moving it, but I'm hoping that you guys would see it. You know, while I'm talking about it, so it's just the neck is just twitching and causing the uh, the the head to almost uh, go on 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 lateral flexion and rotation as well. But this is spasmodic, yeah. So that's called spasmodic torticollis. Again, very much of a serre, uh, no, 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 very much of an internal capsule or basal ganglia problem. Okay. You would have hemifacial spasm. You can describe it like that. You know, half of the face is like spasmodic as well. Um, you can have uh, coprolalia. Uh, which is an involuntary use of obscenity, obscenities and obscene gestures. So when you have obscene gestures, it's copro, copropraxia. Uh, copro is, uh, is like obscene, isn't it? Coprolalia, lalia is you saying some, some obscene words, coprolalia. But when you're like 
you know, putting up the finger, you know, uncontrollably, you have the copropraxia. Uh, you can also have some uh, tic, yeah, tic doloru. And again, these are all uh, basal, basal ganglia. Now, not everything is all to do with the basal ganglia. Sometimes some of the movement disorders are caused by a psychological impairment. Yeah, so problems with psychology. Um, but, you know, most of the time I've seen people trying to blame it all to psychology, but you can't blame it to psychology straight away, isn't it? Uh, when there is an impairment and when there is an event, that would be the primary reason why the person would have some problems with their movements, okay? So you have uh, other symptoms called postural or static tremors. So this occurs with maintained posture. It is tested through holding the arms front out. Uh, and then you can have physiological tremor. You call it essential tremor or tremor of the basal ganglia disease, the tremor of peripheral neuropathy or alcoholic tremor. These are all postural or static tremor. You also have kinetic or intentional tremor and it occurs with movement from point to point. And it, again, it's tested with finger-to-nose test. And you have some task-specific tremors, which occurs only with specific types of movement, like writing tremor or vocal tremor. Yeah. There you go, guys. Thank you for joining me. Uh, again, in this session, we have spoken about some of the symptoms uh, the, of uh, movement disorder. So this is all about understanding the some movement disorders generally just by observing the patients and by knowing what the symptoms are, you'd be able to locate where the problem is. Somebody has had weakness, yes, stroke, cerebellum, there's no problem there. That's most likely what the situation is. Um, anecdotally, there was one situation where there's this one nurse who trusts my skill um, where I am working. And uh, there's a, a person who's just had uh, recently recovering from a surgery. And uh, the nurse approached me and said, there's something wrong with this person. You know, half of the body is just like moving. And as soon as I saw it, there is a, a curriform movement. So there's jerking movement on the arm is not too bad. And then I saw, oh, well, that's, that's, that's a basal ganglia problem. It's very evident. And in passing, one of the intensivists and the consultant just went passing and then uh, the consultant wanted to check, is it really? Let's have a look. They've had the CT scan and bang on, you know, the impairment was lucky enough. It was, well, it's bad, but it was already established. It was on the basal ganglia. So just by finding out the, or identifying these symptoms, you can tell which part of the brain is impaired. Okay, so I think the technique here is for you to be mindful of these movements, to observe what it is that you're seeing, because anything that you're seeing, it means there is something there. Yeah, and uh, the chances of faking it is, is, is very slim. But uh, sometimes the clinicians are very good in just blaming it all to psychology. 
So thank you for joining me, guys. I hope you have learned a little something from this talk. And what I would like you to do is talk to each other. Um, go out there, observe these movements. And once you have, just, you know, write down the symptoms and 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 have a tick box. It's, like, it's just like seeing. It's like bird watching, isn't it? So just go out there, observe, watch out for these symptoms. And if there are... If there are some 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 strange symptoms that you are seeing, you need to escalate that or find a colleague who can help you with it. Um, okay, well, until next time, guys, just remember, anything you do matters and has an outcome. Until next time, bye!